Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And we are back with Teresa. If you've been following along in the podcast, you know that she grew up uh, in a multi-generational polygamous family um, in and around both Utah and Colorado. Was married at age 16. 14. 14. 14. I didn't want to exaggerate. (laughs) Married at age 14. Uh, to a man more than twice her age. At that time, she became wife number 10. So, um, yeah, So, but that's all we're going to tell you. You've got to go back and listen to the previous podcast episodes to get those. But where we are now, when we left our last episode, uh, Teresa was newly married. Uh, She had moved in with her new husband, well, moved into one of his houses. And just as we were closing, she was saying she got the word that she was going to be moving to Texas because Warren Jeffs, Rulon was his father, but Warren Jeffs is now in charge of the FLDS movement. He is systematically moving all the operations down to Texas to a new kind of compound commune down there and taking people selectively there. And now Teresa has been selected to make the move to Texas. So Teresa, go ahead and tell us about um, what that was like. And again, welcome back to the podcast. We are so (laughs) delighted that you're here. Yes, thank you so much for having me back on. I do want to express my gratitude to both of you for um, just walking me through this. And it's it's been amazing, you know, to talk about the experiences, but also to talk about um, how God intervenes and how he pulls us through some of the most trying times of our life. So, yeah, yeah, I um, had gotten to, well, Nate had gone to Texas with his first wife, came back and told me that I got to go to Texas. So it was just me on that trip down there with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, was, into... Did this feel like an honor to you? Did it feel like an exciting thing? Was was moving <laughs> to Texas seen as a good thing within the community? Yes. Or was it like, a, oh, no, what's going to happen next? Oh, no, it was like, it was definitely like you were the elect. You had gotten chosen. You know, okay. you were very special. You know, you had qualified to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so it was considered a very great honor and privilege to you know go there life was different down there it was just you know a bunch of buildings going up the temple was already built down there um they were building an additional building right next to the temple when i got down there so lots of homes and then the temple um but yeah it was just the kind of a self-serving community almost other than when i say it's self-serving then a lot of the commodities came from people that weren't down there sending, you know, stuff down there. I, 
I wanted to ask you about a temple in okay. the uh, fundamentalist Latter-day Saint um, faith, right, that you mm -hmm. were in. What What's the purpose of it? What was it there for? Um, so just like in the LDS, I mean, the LDS had temples, and we had known that ever since we were younger. But I mean, since I was little, I knew the LDS had temples. But we were told that we hadn't found a place yet like it wasn't something that we would have yet so when Warren built one this was like a great honor and privilege and you know wow. you had to be you know very worthy to go in the temple and no I never went in the temple ever okay <laughs> so <laughs> now, I don't did, know did, they, like did they use similar ceremonies to what takes place in the LDS temple or did they just come up with their know. own set of you don't know it was totally uh, yeah. secret. Yeah. It was all secret. And okay. So <laughs> Warren was already in prison when you moved yes. down there? Yes. He went to prison two months after I got married. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. And what was the perception from the FLDS of Warren going to prison? That he was being persecuted because he was righteous? Yes. That's exactly what it was, is that this was a test and a trial on us and that God would deliver him from prison. And I believed that for many years, that God was going to deliver Warren from prison. You know, he would refer to like the apostles, Peter, and, you know, he would refer to these times when people were delivered from prison yeah. and this was going to happen for him, you know, but we weren't worthy. We hadn't prayed enough. We hadn't, you know. We weren't worthy, so God couldn't deliver oh, him. Wow. And, so it was oh, all on you guys. The chains oh, yeah. weren't dropping off and he wasn't walking out because his <laughs> followers weren't worthy enough. Pretty much. Isn't that so typical, the Lynn leadership? Anything doesn't happen like they say. It's never the fault of the leadership or the fact that they've got something wrong. It's always somebody else's faith or somebody else's spiritual condition that isn't measuring up. Yeah, so when you said that, Teresa, I thought about the patriarchal blessing, right? You get this patriarchal blessing from a Mormon patriarch that's supposed to be your future, but if it doesn't come true, then you've done something wrong. You haven't been worthy enough. You haven't been righteous enough. Well, so they could say your future is anything, right? And then yeah. you have that that out, that caveat. Yeah. Um, such a such a burden for yeah. folks to carry. Yeah, I think I'd been there for almost nine months. So I went there in August, um, the next April, then the authorities, um, Texas Rangers, I don't remember who else, there was a lot of law enforcement, um, showed up to the gate of the compound, um, saying that they had had a call from a girl that was, you know, had been abused and they wanted to come in and make sure that she was okay. Um, it, like, I knew they were at the gate, but it wasn't until the next morning, like, that I realized that they had actually gotten onto the land. Cause I knew they were out by the gate, but I didn't know when exactly they had gotten onto the land or when they had finally opened the gate and let them in. Wow. Now, did that create any tension, expectation of like apocalyptic? Because I just think about Waco, Texas and the Branch Davidians. And they had a similar situation there where they had kind of compounded. They'd built a commune. It was us against the world. Nobody understands us. We're persecuted for our faith. And a similar thing happened and law enforcement showed up outside there. 
and they didn't let him in. Then there was the whole disaster with the compound catching fire, whether from inside or from outside, who knows? I don't know if we'll ever know mm-hmm. the end of the story of that one. But was there any fear of a Waco of similar to Waco situation happening there? Were you aware of those parallels? Um, so we didn't actually know what Waco was. Um, okay. I think that law enforcement came prepared. They did eventually bring tanks, uh, army tanks onto the land. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. So yes, I, because they met resistance. Did they, did they, to some extent, I think so. Um, as far as like weapons, um, there really wasn't that many guns on there. There was a couple for hunting, but it wasn't like every household had guns in it. Um, okay. Well, people in charge almost overkill, but hey, (laughs) yeah, I, I think that they expected something, you know, a lot worse than as far as resistance than what they met with. Um, they started by just asking if they could interview some of the girls that were close to, you know, close to 16, some of the teenage girls. So okay. started with that. Eventually, and you were, how old were you then? Just 15? 16. You were 16 at this 16. time. Okay. Oh, and I was pregnant. <laughs> I had gotten uh, pregnant. Okay. Um, I was about seven months pregnant. Okay. So you were noticeably pregnant. Yes. Okay. Noticeably pregnant. <laughs> So were you singled out to be interviewed then? um, So one of the church leaders, Merrill, and I think Wendell Nielsen also, um, they had let their teenage daughters, like they had started with those ones and they were interviewing them. You know, CPS was talking to them. Um, By the next morning, then they started to go through the houses and um, they were just... Oh, I don't even know how it all played out exactly, but they were um, probably looking for teenage girls that were pregnant because all the ones they were interviewing weren't pregnant. Yeah. Or didn't have kids. Yeah. So, yeah, they showed up to the house that um, Nate's first wife and I were in, and they walked through the house, um, and then they asked us a couple questions. You know, and they started asking us questions like the one I remember the most was, so what number of wife are you? And, you know, with each group of these law enforcement came a, one of the priesthood elders was walking, you know, going from house to house with them as well. Anyway, so I look at this man that's standing there, you know, post old priesthood, and I'm like, okay, so what should I answer him? You know, I'm trying to communicate that with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, just, just talk to him, just answer him. And I was like, okay i'm number 10 (laughs) and uh, you know then they asked how old i was and they said you got to come with us and i was like okay so i slipped on the closest pair of shoes which was not great it was kind of already worn out and they walked me out to one of their cars and we went and picked up one other girl that was under underage and drove off of the land they drove off of that you know compound and took us to El Dorado to anyway so I didn't actually ever get interviewed until later they just took me just because I was 16 and I was pregnant (laughs) wow and but they didn't tell you where you were going how long you were going to go for just like okay well you're going to need to come with us yeah 
Now, did you afraid? Were you afraid? How did you feel? What kind of an experience was this for you? Yeah. Um, yes, I was afraid. Um, I did have a cell phone, ironically enough, <laughs> that okay. I had in my pocket. Um, by the time that they took us, it was actually a, the Civic Center in El Dorado. Um, there was already all the other girls that they had been interviewing throughout, you know, earlier. They had all those girls there. I guess they had bus those girls off, like in school buses, but... Anyway, I was special. I got my own private ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, anyway, so are you talking dozens of girls, a yes. handful of girls, dozens, um, dozens of underage girls, some of these whom ones, were pregnant? Mm, these ones weren't. There actually wasn't that. Well, I say there wasn't that many out of the 300 or so children that they took off of there. Um, I think it was 400 according to the news. Yeah, so. something like that. I don't remember the exact number. Then there wasn't, I think there was only five of us that were still underage, either pregnant or had had a child. There was only five of us. There was some that were 18 and had children underage, but right. there was only five of us at the time. So... So yeah. they had in mind to remove you and put you in a foster home. Yeah, what and was the this, plan? And, <laughs> yeah, and legally, I, what's going on? I think it was just a whole lot bigger than what they realized. You know, it was yeah. just, you know, a lot more than what they realized, you know. So once they started, I think they kind of just had to keep on going until they were done. I don't really know, like all the legal stuff, it, for the next two months, then we went from shelter to shelter. I finally ended up in a, um, a shelter in San Antonio, Texas that had like, was for underage girls that were pregnant okay. or had children. So that's where I ended up, um, with a couple of other ladies that they thought were underage, like they did. Like they wouldn't believe some of their birth certificates and even driver's licenses. Texas was just questioning everything because they didn't know what was true and what wasn't. And yeah. so they questioned a lot of stuff and things had to be cleared by a judge and stuff like that. So I ended up in a home, like a facility with quite a few other women that had children, but were not underage. So when they took you, did anybody protest? Did your husband say, wait? that's my wife. You can't take her away. Or was there, was he even around when this happened? Um, no, he was walking around with some of the other, um, Rangers, the Texas Rangers. He was walking around to some of the other homes. He wasn't the okay. one that came to our house. So no, I don't, I mean, there wasn't really a resistance on that. Like, no, you can't take her. Um, there was resistance from us, us girls. Then we, Gave them hell quite a bit. <laughs> okay. In terms of not wanting, you know, you know, so you physically, did you physically resist being put into the car or? Um, I didn't. I, when we did physically resist was later before, like they were um, actually separating all of the little children from their mothers. Oh, and wow. That's when I, well, after it was, it might've been after that, like they had separated all the little children and send all the moms back you know, put them back on buses and send them back to the compound. 
And um, I think it was after that when they were actually trying to separate us out into um, shelters all across the state. They were trying to get us into shelters where they could be more taken care of. But now, wait a minute, you would have fairly um, limited access with the outside world, right? Yes. So had- now you're thrown into a facility with a lot of women from the outside world. What was that like? Actually, they separated a whole separate wing for us, and the other girls didn't even have anything to do with us. One of them tried to talk to us at one point, and I think she got scared. <laughs> But I don't know. <laughs> okay, so you were um, with all other people from the compound then? I was still with people from the compound. Um, it got to where they could have visits with their family. So like my mom would come see me while I was in this facility. Um, and, you know, some of the other moms would come see their girls. And this was my first introduction of like actually realizing that people, you know, because we were taught so much that the outside world everybody wanted to harm us, you know, Oh yeah. stuff like that. So it was my first introduction. It's actually a CPS worker and she had to be at all these visits, but she would sit kind of a little bit away. And um, since, you know, I didn't have a child to tend like all the other girls, then they'd say, will you distract her? Why, you know, talk to my mom. So she's not hearing what I'm saying. Oh my gosh, Joel. So I so, was new, newly out of the church when all that hit. That was my first year here in Florida. Wow. And God really, really showed me. I mean, it was a profound moment in my life when all those polygamous women got paraded out in the media. They all had the exact same dress on different pastel colors, exact same hairdo, said the exact same words. Yeah. The spirit just hit me over the head with, don't you see, those are your BYU students, right? They're, they all dress alike. They, they say the same phrases, you know, they, they follow after something that's false and um, their relationship with God is not personal, right? So that, that was just yeah. huge for me, that experience. And I'm thinking this was April of 08. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. That was my first year away from the church. It was huge for me. Yeah. Wow. So, Teresa, is your experience then with people of the outside world then obviously different than what you expected? So you've got a CPS worker who's being respectful um, who's being supportive. I mean, so what, um, how are you she, impacted by your contact now with the outside world? I still feared the majority of it, but she would sit there and she would talk and not about anything in particular. She didn't try to get me to talk about the religion. She didn't try to get me to talk about, you know, why I was pregnant at 16 or anything like that. She would yeah. say funny things. You know, she had a yellow bug car. Its name was Daisy. And I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> So just different things like that, you know, it's kind of my first introduction um, to the outside world. But And to someone who is just being a friend and treating you as a person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's the next phase? What happens next then for you? Um, we got released from custody, kind of like we got released to go back to our parents. Um, I was still living in San Antonio, had my daughter and... Um, then it was just kind of chaotic from there. And 
if I was to try to cover all the details, it would take quite a while. But um, they had tried to, after I had her, after CPS found that I had had the baby, then they tried to set up a meet, tried to get DNA, um, all the stuff so that they could actually convict Nate. And they did not succeed in any of that. Um, in all my interviews, I was just stubborn enough that I wouldn't give them the information. Um, I went to court even and wouldn't tell them where my daughter was so that they could get her DNA. And they were just kind of all up in arms because I wasn't cooperating very well. But I was told so much that, you know, it's just persecution. They're just trying to, you know, harm these good priests and men that are only doing the right thing. And yeah. it's your job to protect, you know. So that was kind of what happened for the next um, almost a year before I actually got released from CPS custody, where they no longer came in and checked on me. Um, wow. So yeah. how far are you from everybody else in the compound then when you're in San Antonio? Three hours. Okay. So you're three hours away from family, from everybody you know, pretty much. Are pretty you in much. a group home? Are you in like a group home situation? Are you with a family? No. Um, one of my uncles on my mom's side had um, come down and rented a house. That's what we were staying in. Um, there was other families, like same situation where they had gotten, you know, their children had been released back to them. And they okay. were living in San Antonio as well. So there was people around. You just had to travel like takes two hours sometimes to travel from one side of San Antonio to the other. Yeah. <laughs> so and you couldn't go back to the compound, right? And if you had gone back to Nate, they'd know who the father was. Is that the whole um so they actually um what's it called? They gave me a like a restriction like I was not to be within a thousand feet of um uh, the compound. Oh, okay. And mm -hmm. I was not to be within a thousand feet of Nate. Um I wow, so pretty... it's like it's like a reverse restraining order. So they put a restraining yes, it, order on it you. It was to not a restraining order. Okay. Yeah, it was a restraining order on me that I was to not, you know. But I see now that they just were trying to work through so very much. You know, Texas really was trying to work through a lot. Well, yeah. And what I remember is they go in there; they're overwhelmed by the amount of children. If they take one, they feel like they have to take them all. They take all 400 out. And then how long was it before they sent them all back to their families? They did eventually. I think they just realized. It was two months. Two months, two. the Supreme Court ruled that they should return all the children to their parents. And then CPS had to go through the process of re um, like releasing every single child back to their parents, which was a process. So yeah, mine was almost a year later that I got released so, back. Is there a problem that polygamy is illegal in the United States or the problem is just that you've got underage girls probably, right? That they feel um, are being taken advantage of. So that's what they were charging the men with was underage marriage and you know, sex with an underage um, woman and stuff right. like that. That's what they were charging those men with. So okay. we're down to about three minutes or so if, yeah. I, if I've got this right um, at, at some point goodness your eyes were opened and you were introduced to Jesus I assume we're going to hear about that 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to skip over some of it because a lot did happen even in the next several years up until then. So I'm, I'm going to leave some of it out and just fast forward a little bit, I guess you could say, because I really want to talk about this part. <laughs> oh, yay, because Jesus changes your life. Teresa, thank you so much. Uh, it's quite the odyssey, and we really look forward to the next episode where we get to hear how God begins intervening and, yeah, really brings about a change because you are a long way from where you were. <laughs> yes, I am. And he's brought me on this journey, and he's been here with me the whole time. I just didn't see him. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> this is the best part of being in ministry is being able to watch the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. It just, it gives me hope and increases my faith. Many of you know that, that recently my home was flooded in Hurricane Ian and today the ladies I do Bible study with came to visit me and we were walking around the back of the house to see all the damage to the foundation and one of the women said I think I see something here in the sand and she bent down and it was a necklace of mine with the mustard seed. Oh my! That you That's might have amazing. the faith of a mustard seed, right? That you can move mountains. This is the God that Teresa now knows. Yes, and He has moved mountains for me. <laughs> okay, grace and peace to you, friends. One more wonderful episode, or maybe it'll be two. Who knows? Um, I'm really eager to hear about Jesus in your life because um, I couldn't live without Him. Amen. And I couldn't either. So, yes. All right. Until next time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace Podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.